Welcome everybody to Dinging Corners, a baseball podcast and video powered by Slab Stocks. I'm your host Nate, and today we are going to be covering the 2020 MLB season, specifically an MLB season preview. Uh, as many of you know, the MLB and the MLB Players Association have finally come to an agreement on a season starting, and that will be July 24th for most teams, July 23rd for the Yankees and Nationals and Giants and Dodgers. They play on ESPN on July 23rd. Most other teams start July 24th. My Brewers play the Cubs on ESPN on July 24th, so very excited about that. Nice to have a nationally televised game for the first game of the year. Um... As many of you will also know, it's a 60-game season. Uh, a number of oddities that I've come up with uh, because of that. And so we will cover the season itself, the new rules, the um, roster, d- different rosters that get involved here. And then we're going to be covering some oddities that I found. And then I'm going to be making predictions, um, not necessarily World Series predictions, and I'll get into why there. Uh, when we get down there, and then just uh, ended off with a few things I noticed that are a couple of problems with the 60-game season. So I hope you all enjoy this podcast, and if you're listening to this and you're like, man, I really want to look into some of those guys that he talks about because I will be talking about specific guys in my predictions, uh, you're in luck. Uh, at some point this summer, Slabstocks will be coming out with our own platform for being able to look up card prices and buy and sell through the app uh, powered by eBay. And so if there's any guys in here, they will be in the app. Um, you will be able to look them up and be able to see their price trends from there. So keep that in mind and uh, get excited about that. And uh, hopefully you're excited about this podcast. So let's jump right into it. So like I said earlier, it's a 60-game season. There's going to be 40 games against division opponents and 20 games against corresponding division opponents. So if you're the NL Central, you'll be playing 20, 40 games against the, like the Brewers, will be playing 40 games against the Pirates, the Reds, the Cubs, and the Cardinals, and then 20 games against the Twins, the White Sox, uh, Royals, and Tigers, and Indians. Now, uh, it's going to be a little weird, so there's at least 30 home games um, in, in or 30 home games uh, 20 in division and then another 10 interleague um, you'll be playing five times at home against uh, each opponent and then interleague I think it's a little bit weirder I think we might be playing the White Sox and the Twins more than we play the Royals and the Tigers and Indians I could be wrong on that though um, so there's some oddities there, but that's the basic layout of the season. Now there's different r- rosters for this year. Instead of having your full complement of players and your full complement of players to trade from, now there's only a 60-man roster. So you get to choose 60 guys to have throughout the season on a 60-man roster. They're not all going to play, and they don't need to all be on your 40-man roster to be able to play. So you can only call up guys to the majors if they're on your 40-man roster. Well, this year there's a 60-man roster. And uh, these players are all walks of the minor leagues. I mean, uh, the Rays have Wander Franco on their 60-man roster. I don't think he gets called up this year, but he's on there, uh, probably just in case they want to trade him because you can't trade anybody from outside of that. And the trade deadline, while we're at it, is August 31st, um, much different this year. So you can get about a month in, and then teams can 
have their trade deadline maybe out of guide for the 30-game stretch run or so. Uh, the rosters themselves are a little strange. So for the first 15 days of the season, it's a 30-man roster. So you get 30 guys. You know, last year is 25-man roster, right? And then the rules changed. Those supposed to, and so 25-man roster and September call-ups, you could have as many as you wanted all the way up to your 40-man roster. That changed this year. It was going to be 26-man rosters, and then you could call up two guys in September. So September call-ups, and you could have 28-man rosters in September. Um, so you get an extra guy throughout the year, but you give up the ability to have a million guys at the end of the year, which is not a big deal for some teams, but a pretty big deal for like my Brewers, who routinely use a ton of pitchers in September just so they can keep throwing out fresh arms. And it works really well for them, and it's worked well for them the last two years. Well, that's no longer an option. So 30-man roster for the first 15 days, and then it goes to a 28-man roster from there, and that lasts for the next 14 days. So by day 29 of the season, it goes down to the normal 26-man roster. And uh, the 26-man roster is important because this September, there is no September call-up, so we don't get to go up to 28 guys. It's 26 guys from, then, uh, from that point on, the 29th day of the season, to the end of the season, and into the playoffs. So, uh, a weird format this year. Um, I'm not 100% sure why they're doing the expanded 30-man and 28-man rosters uh, in the early going. Probably just to try to keep guys healthy, keep the innings off arms. Um, but I can't confirm that. Uh, but it's a weird layout. Uh, a couple things that we have to get used to in this season. And then new rules. On to new rules here. Uh, the big first rule is NLDH. So the DH, it's been talked about for a couple of years. Will they finally get a DH? Um, that's really big for a couple of teams. Uh, the Brewers are one. Brian Braun no longer has to play the outfield. So he can stay a little bit more healthy and just DH. Uh, the same goes for the Reds, who si signed Nick Cassianos to a uh, four-year, $60 million deal, something like that. Um, four years, I believe. I don't remember the price on it. Uh, but they signed him to a big deal and they're going to have to have him play the outfield. Well, he's a terrible, terrible defender. He takes away most of the value he adds with his bat. It gets taken away by his atrocious defense in left field. Well, that no longer has to happen. They can have him as a DH, which makes that deal an absolute steal. So a uh, huge deal for the Reds, huge deal for the Brewers, a pretty big deal for most teams, really, um, not having to have your pitchers hit and getting an extra bat in there, and a really big deal for Fets. Um, you know, the Nelson Cruz types, obviously Nelson Cruz is on the Twins and really good, but uh, guys like that, um, you know, veteran Edwin Encarnacion type guys uh, can now expand their careers by going to play for all 30 teams instead of just 15 select teams in the AL. So a big deal there. The next big rule is the three batter rule, which is already a rule going into play in place this season. Well, it's still a rule for the 60-game season, and that is a pitcher comes into the game, he has to face three batters. There's no other option. You can't bring a lefty reliever in to face a lefty and then take him out instantly. If he comes into the game, he has to face a minimum of three batters. Uh, the only thing I think uh, that can top this is if a guy faces three batters and there's only like one or two outs left in the inning and you send in another reliever and he gets two outs and two guys or one out and one guy, and then it's the end of the inning, I don't think you have to push put him back in there. I could be wrong on that. I don't have confirmation on that, but I'm pretty sure that 
if a guy comes in after the previous guy has gone three batters and doesn't have to face three batters till the end of the inning, then he will not have to come back out. So I think that's the only way you can get around it. So potentially uh, that's how you could use your lefty on lefty relievers um, by taking a lefty at the end of the inning, like if the Brewers use Alex Claudio against Joey Votto, for example. And then uh, the big new one. So the NLDH was talked about, but wasn't a thing. The three batter rule was a thing already and is still a thing. The really big new one is that in the minor leagues the last couple of years, teams have been or they have been starting a runner on second base um, in extra innings to try to speed up games so that you don't have these 16, 17 inning affairs that uh, MLB teams generally have. Well, now that is happening in the MLB this year. Uh, try to limit the number of innings, try to limit the number of uh, wear and tear on bodies for 60 games. And so they are going to be starting runners on second base in extra innings. I don't love the rule. I do love a good extra inning game, but it's what it is. There's no going back on it, so we just have to accept it. Um, as for the uh, intricacies of it, I guess you could say, the player that will be on second base is the player that batted before the player who's up to start off the inning. Um, if that's confusing, basically it's if the fifth hole hitter has to start the inning, the tenth inning, the fourth hole hitter will be the guy on second base, or you can choose a pinch runner. If back in the day it was the Brewers and they put pin, you were supposed to have Prince Fielder on second, you're probably going to want to choose somebody like Nigel Morgan to take his place. And so that's how that works. And then also ERA-wise, in case you're worried about your favorite reliever coming in and having a runner on second and all of a sudden he gives up a run and he gets an extra run, that's not the case. They're going to consider it like they consider a error, um, a runner that gets on an error, and it's not going to go against your uh, pitcher's ERA. So uh, no problem there from a stat perspective for uh, relief pitchers or starters if they manage to go 10 innings. All right, and then lastly, there's increased penalties for on-field altercations. Um, so if a, a manager goes up and argues with an ump, instant ejection from what I read, and also increased fines and increased suspensions. Along with that, any players that also uh, get into fights, increased fines, increased suspensions. They want to keep social distancing to a maximum, so there will be no... Uh, hopefully no on-field altercations at all through these 60 games. Um, and if they do, they're trying to, if it does happen, they're trying to make it sure that it is not worth your while. So that is the new season, new rules, new roster changes in a nutshell. Uh, let's move on to a couple oddities that I found here. Um, number one is travel miles. So uh, something that most people probably don't think about is the amount of distance that teams have to travel throughout a year and with the 60 game season in which you're playing just regional opponents so uh nl central is just playing nl central and al central nl what east is just playing nl east and al east nl west is only playing nl west and al west uh there's a lot less miles being traveled especially for the nl central where everyone is grouped in a grouping from minnesota down to Missouri, over to the very western edge of Pennsylvania. Um, extremely close grouping there. 
And so the miles traveled are really, really low. The Brewers travel the least amount of miles on the year with 3,962, and the Cubs travel the second least with 4,071. That's an extremely low amount of miles and a huge um, bonus come playoff time when you're playing other divisions. It's not a huge bonus uh, during the season because everyone in the division is traveling the same amount of miles. Basically, uh, eight of the bottom... 10 teams in miles traveled are in the central divisions. Uh, shout out to the Twins and Royals for being the only two that are not in the bottom 10, but they're pretty stinking close. And then uh, Twins, being the most traveled team in the AL Central, NL Central, not a huge disadvantage because they're a really good team, but you don't know how much the extra 2,000 miles I think they have to travel over and above the uh, Brewers will affect them. And then on the flip side, the Rangers have to travel the most at 14,706 miles, so that's 11,000 more miles than the Brewers have to travel, and the Astros have to travel the second most at 13,954. Um, and then the top four teams in miles traveled are from the AL West. The only team that's in the AL West that's not in the top uh, four is the Angels, so hopefully they'll be able to keep Mike Trout and Shohei Otani more healthy. Uh it will be interesting to see what happens. Obviously, everyone in the AL West has to travel a ton, so they're all at the same disadvantage. Everyone in the AL Central and AL Central has to travel a little bit, not a ton, so they all have the same advantage. But when playoffs come around, and the Rangers have, if they make it, have had to play 11,000 more or travel 11,000 more miles over the course of the season, that kind of wears you out. Um, a underreported aspect of professional sports is the travel time and the wear and tear that takes on you. I know me just traveling for vacation, you know, traveling down to Florida or something. Uh, that's kind of a taxing and that's just a one-time thing, not every single day. So we'll see what happens there. And then there's a couple of 60 game oddities here that I wanted to bring to your attention. And that is that the last year, the Nationals won the World Series, but through 60 games, they were 27 and 33. And then the Cubs were 34 and 26 through 60 games, tied with the Brewers for division lead, and they missed the playoffs completely. So this year, we are going to have some surprisingly bad teams and some surprisingly good teams. Um, I'm not going to predict who that is uh, because it's just it's probably just going to come out of nowhere. But there are going to be teams that just get off to a slow start, and all of a sudden you're like, holy smokes, the A's are supposed to be really good but they got off to a slow start, and now they're just in too big of a hole for a 60-game season. They're already seven games back. We are three weeks into the season, and they're done. Meanwhile, you might have, like, the Padres get out to a hot start, and all of a sudden they're right there with the Dodgers for the division lead uh, because it's only a 60-game race. So we don't know what's going to happen. Um, what we do know is that if every season was a 60-game season, the Nationals don't win the World Series last year. Um, but the Cubs make the playoffs. So it's all different. It's all very weird. We're all going to have to get used to it together. So let's move on now to my prediction section. I'm going to be predicting two surprising teams and then AL Cy Young, NL Cy Young, MVPs, Rookie of the Years. So let's get into it. Um, no World Series predictions. Like I said, very odd season. Hard to explain who's going to be doing what. 
Um, sometimes a good team just gets off to a slow start, like the Nationals. The Nationals were supposed to be a really good team last year. They got off to a slow start, and then they ended up winning like 96 games or 92 games, something like that. Um, so you just never know what's going to happen. But I am comfortable making a few lesser predictions, and so that's where we're going to go now. For my surprising teams, I have the AL surprise team will be the White Sox. Not that I expect them to be surprising and that I don't think they could be. They could already been kind of good, but I think they'll probably make the playoffs this year, and I'll explain why. Uh, they're getting Carlos Rodon and Michael Kopech back and healthy again. Um, two very solid starting pitchers, two young starting pitchers. Well, Rodon's not as uh, young anymore, but still two solid pitchers to go along with Dallas Keuchel, Lucas Giolito, Dylan Cease, Gio Gonzalez, and then they even have Dane Dunning, who's a top prospect uh, coming up in the wings. So they have a very nice rotation. Um, if they can stay healthy for 60 games, it should be an asset to them. And then they are adding to their lineup Yasmani Grandal, who had a really good year for the Brewers last year. Uh, I was just looking at his wins above replacement numbers yesterday, and it was like 2.6 baseball reference war, but like five something for Pangraphs, um, depending on how you view catching met metrics there. Uh, but anyway, you spin it, a really good starting catcher. They added Nomar Mazzara, who's not spectacular, but um, a solid bat. And then Luis Robert, who is obviously uh, one of the top prospects in all of baseball, an absolute stud, uh, and going to be playing center field for them. And they add those guys to youngsters like Yohan Mankata and Eloy Jimenez and Zach Collins, and vets like Jose Abreu and Edwin Encarnacion and James McCann. And then on top of that, they have uh, minor leaguers that could be close to ready, like Nick Madrigal um, who, and Andrew Vaughn, who were you know, a couple of the best college bats when they got drafted in the top. Nick Madrigal was the fifth pick, and Andrew Vaughn was the third pick in their respective years. And they are both uh, really good. Andrew Vaughn was the best bat, even though he only is a first base only, and they have Jose Abreu. And Nick Madrigal, while he doesn't have a ton of power, uh, insanely good defender at second base can move all the way all around the infield and uh, his speed doesn't strike out doesn't really walk but two super nice players that could also get called up I know Andrew Vaughn hasn't played above um, high A yet but 60 game season if you think he's your best bat you call him up if you need to um, if you're in a position to win and then uh, that is their roster division wise why I think the White Sox are going to be winning uh, Tigers and Royals are bad. Indians got significantly worse. They traded Kluber. They traded Bauer last year. Um, Shane Bieber and Mike Clevenger are obviously really good, but there's huge question marks after that. Uh, Carlos Carrasco is going to be pitching, but he hasn't pitched in years. And then after that, the pitching goes gets way worse. And then the offense is in, uh, iffy. Uh, Francisco Lindor is an MVP candidate, always an MVP candidate. Defensive is, is amazing. But after that, Jose Ramirez had a down year. He's trended in the wrong direction two years in a row. Obviously, two years ago, he was still really good. It was just a little bit worse of a year uh, OPS-wise. And then last year was a much worse OPS-wise year for Jose Ramirez. And then Carlos Santana's good. But those are the only two guys that I feel really confident in um, to be solid, solid players. After that, they have some interesting bats in Fran Mil Reyes and Domingo Santana. Yu Chang, who's a rookie shortstop this year and is in top series two he's probably the second best player in top series two so if you're looking to buy top series two uh 2020 don't do it waste of money 
Luis Obert is the only good player out of it. Uh, Christian Arroyo, Jake Bowers, and Bradley Zimmer, but you're going to need multiple of those guys to break out, and I just don't trust it happening. Um, so the Indians got, the pitching got worse, and they just don't have the trustworthy bats to carry the team, and they don't have the veteran bats uh, to carry the team. A lot of these guys are not vets. They're just young kids that either broke out and have gone way south or are just power bats like Fran Reyes. And then, obviously, you have the Twins, the last team that I did not talk about in this division. And the Twins are really good, undoubtedly good. Um, their pitching got better. Their hitting is already really good. I just didn't want to pick them. So we're picking the White Sox. They're my surprise team. And then uh, on the NL side, my surprise team is the Reds. The Reds are extremely, extremely good this year. They have drastically increased their pitching uh, output with this offseason. They already had Luis Castillo and Sonny Gray um, and Anthony DeScalfani, but they traded for Trevor Bauer at last year's trade deadline, and they signed Wade Miley. That is legitimately probably the best rotation in the NL Central. Um, no real doubt in my mind that that's the best rotation in the NL Central. So they got that going for them. They have a legit three-headed monster at the back end of their rotation, or their bullpen in Amir Garrett, who was absolutely unbelievable last year and also took on the entire Pirates team by himself. Uh, Rasiel Iglesias, who had a little bit of a down year, but is still a very, very good reliever. And then Michael Lorenzen, who is both extremely good and extremely jacked, and we also don't get to see him hit anymore, which is a pretty big disappointment because he is a pretty good hitter. Uh... But a very solid three-headed monster at the back end of the bullpen to go along with a pitching rotation that goes, um, you know, five, six deep there. And then they added to their offense Mike Moustakis, Nick Cassianos, and Shogo Akiyama, if I'm saying that right. I don't know if I'm saying Shogo right, uh, from Japan. Uh, they added those three guys, Mustakis as a second baseman, Cassianos now as a DH, and Akiyama as a left fielder, presumably, uh, or a right fielder. They add that to Joey Votto, who's always great, Eugenio Suarez, who's always great, and then youngsters, Aristides Aquino and Nick Senzel, and then even Freddie Galvis, who had a really good year last year and should be a, just a solid shortstop for them. Um, that's a number of positions that are just pretty stinking good all the way around to go along with the, the best rotation in the NL Central and a bullpen that's really shaping up. So I'm expecting them to probably be the best team in the NL Central. I wouldn't be surprised, especially in 60 games. Um, and on the other teams that got worse, the Pirates, they're already bad. They're the one legitimately bad team in the NL Central, and they lost Chris Archer for the season. Which isn't a huge blow because he already wasn't very good, but they don't have a ton of depth. And then the Brewers, they lost Yasmani Grandal and Mike Moustakis from their lineup. And they lost Zach Davies and Jordan Lyles. And even they lost like guys like Eric Thames, um, who is a solid bench platoon first base bat uh, from their lineup. So a number of guys there. And they replaced him with a number of lesser guys, Eric Lauer. Uh, Luis Urias is in here, but he's been injured, and then he just came down with COVID-19, so we don't know what he's going to be doing. Um, you know, Justin Smoke to replace Eric Thames, uh, and then a bunch of, like, mid-tier utility guys, Brock Holt, 
uh, Jed Jerko, those types of guys. So not a huge, a bunch of huge names to replace the big names they lost. Um, so they got worse. And then the Cubs, oh, and Omar Navarez, they traded for Omar Navarez. Uh, if you're going to replace his Monty Grandal's bat in, at catcher, uh, the, probably the best you can do is Omar Navarez right now. But defensively, Yasmani is leaps and bounds better than him. So that's a big concern there. And then the Cubs, they spent no money this offseason. Uh, almost quite literally no money this offseason. They signed like Jeremy Jeffress and not much else. And then they already missed the playoffs last year. And all their players are getting older. You know, John Lester is a year older. Jose Quintana is a year older. Uh, Jason Hayward's a year older. You know, all these vets. Um, you don't get better with age. You get worse, especially guys in John Lester's shoes that are much, much older. So, uh, big concern there for them. And then the Cardinals, uh, they lost Marcelo Zuna. They didn't lose much else. A big bat out of their lineup. Um, otherwise, they're a really good team, but I refuse to pick the Cardinals. I just I just can't do it. If I'm not going to pick the Brewers, I'm definitely not going to pick the Cardinals. So, it's the Reds there. Um, but watch out for the Cardinals. They are really good. So my two surprise teams, White Sox and the Reds, uh, keep track of them. I think they will surprise some teams there. Now on to Cy Young Awards winners. Speaking of Cy Young, Luis Castillo uh, of the Reds, or speaking of Cy Young, speaking of the Reds, Luis Castillo, who I brought up earlier, is my NL Cy Young Award uh, winner. Right now, if you're looking at him, you can get I just saw a Topps Chrome Gold Rookie, number 50, sold for $48 the other day, so you can get into him really, really cheap. He was really, really good last year. He had a 340 ERA in 190 innings, um, and that was with 226 strikeouts in those 190 innings. Uh, so a really good kind of breakout year for Luis Castillo. He probably has the best changeup in baseball, and he routinely hits the high 90s with his fastball. Uh and he's entering his prime. He's going to be, or he is 27 this year, and he's going to be 27 for the whole 60-game season. Um, when guys start entering their prime, you know, that's when they start figuring it out. I wouldn't be shocked if he exploded uh, onto the scene here a little bit. I mean, he was already really good last year, but I wouldn't be shocked if he took another step forward and firmly cemented himself into Cy Young's status here. The Reds are a solid offensive team also with better pitching and uh, fielding this year, and so they should have much more eyes on them, which should only help Luis Castillo's case. So Luis Castillo, uh, $48 for a Topps Chrome Gold, number 50, and he is my NL Cy Young Award pick. And then on the AL Cy Young Award side, I wanted to go Mike Clevenger. I wrote an article about Mike Clevenger last year. I'm really excited about Mike Clevenger. But I didn't go Mike Clevenger. Instead, I went Frankie Montas uh, of the A's to win the AL Cy Young. I love Frankie Montas. Um, you can get his Bowman Chrome autos currently for around $5. Um, if you're looking into that, he's super, super cheap. He had a 2.63 ERA in 96 innings with 103 strikeouts and only 23 walks last year before getting suspended by PEDs. Uh, the fear is that you know the PEDs were what caused him to pitch really well and that he'll come back and do poorly. Well, in the previous spring training, he'd gone 5.2 innings of scoreless baseball, and now he's come back uh, in summer camp, and he is hitting triple digits with his fastball reportedly. He's got a nasty slider. He's always had a nasty slider. And now, um, last year and going into this year still, he added a nasty, truly dominant splitter to his repertoire that has been able to allow him to both get lefties and righties out um, which has caused him to go from a 
gifted, but control and, um, you know, platoon troubled pitcher into a very solid, very, very good starting pitcher who could be the ace of the ace this year. Would not shock me. Um, and then the A's are a very good team. They have playoff expectations every single year. And I wouldn't be shocked if Frankie Montas, like I said, is the front man for that rotation and the one to lead them there. Moving on to Rookie of the Year candidates. We've got the AL Rookie of the Year, the NL Rookie of the Year. Gavin Lux is my pick to win NL Rookie of the Year. I have to pick him. Um, this is a little bit boring. It's not really out there. It's not really exciting. I just have to pick him because he's from Wisconsin. Uh, Aaron and I are from Wisconsin. Gavin Lux is from Wisconsin. I'd be remiss if I did not pick Gavin Lux as NL Rookie of the Year. But also, a nice thing for him is that he has got a lot of eyes on him because the Dodgers are expected to be really good again. And that can only help his case. If you're looking to buy into Gavin Lux, currently his top 2020 Top Series 1 PSA 10 rookies are going for around $55. Um, so, uh, and if you can find PSA or Top Series 1 in stores, you know, buy it up. That stuff is going quick. It's got a pretty good set of uh, rookies in Jordan Alvarez and Gavin Lux and Bobachette and Arstias Aquino. Uh, significantly better than uh, Kyle Lewis, um, to name a couple, uh, another one. Significantly better than 2020 Top Series 2. Um, again, I'm not trying to rag on Top Series 2 a bunch. I brought it up before, and I'll bring it up again. But I am trying to save you guys money by telling you, hey, don't go buy it. Take that money and go buy Luis Robert cards instead of buying into boxes or buy into breaks for the White Sox instead of buying into boxes because the, the checklist is just terrible outside of Luis Robert. Or instead, go buy Top Series 1. And aim for Gavin Lux, Jordan Alvarez, Boba Shack, Kyle Lewis, Arstides Aquino, the list goes on. Because it is significantly better. AJ Puck, Jesus Lizardo, I think. Actually, Lizardo probably came out in update. But anyways, uh, significantly better than Series 2. So look for that. Gavin Lux, NL Rookie of the Year award winner. That's my guess. And speaking of Luis Robert, I'm picking someone else to win the... Uh, rookie of the year i don't know who it's going to be i'm taking the field uh here uh luis robert top series two rookies are going ungraded 16 to 18 dollars no graded cards have been sold they, i mean this product just came out psa is so slow they wouldn't get that back anyways this time um but i'm going to take the field i just feel like there's so much expectations on luis robert uh that i don't know if he hits it um, he might. He's probably going to be really good, but I'm more comfortable taking the field here. I'm sure there's going to be that random rookie that really just takes off and surprises that you're not expecting. Um, I don't know if it'll be like a Joe Dell or somebody like that because Joe Dell's obviously not going to be uh, unexpected, but I think it might be somebody that's just like one of those rookies you're not even thinking about. All of a sudden he hits, he accidentally hits like 310 with 15 home runs over the first 60, or not 15, 310 with nine home runs and uh, a 370 on base or something, you know, at 860 OPS. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, you know, somebody like Tommy Edmond, who was really good last year, but came out of nowhere for the Cardinals. Well, if a guy like that does that in 60 games and Luis Robert is not amazing, he'll probably win the rookie of the year. So I'm taking 
the field over Luis Robert here. But if you're looking into buying some of his cards, again, top series two that just came out, sixteen to eighteen dollars for a Luis Luis. And I keep saying Robert. I'm sorry. Uh Luis Robert. I know it's it's spelled Robert. It's pronounced Robert. But uh, when I first heard his name years ago, they kept saying Robert, and it's just stuck in my mind. Um, so Luis Robert, that's the guy you're looking for. Uh, somebody's probably going to rip into me on in the comments saying it's pronounced Robert um, if they didn't listen this far into the podcast. All right, so those are my AL and NL Rookie of the Years. I'm going to go on. We'll save MVP for last. We're going to go on to Home Run Leader and Average Leader. So, home run leader, I guess I'm just kind of in love with the Reds at this point, and I'm picking Nick Cassianos to lead the league in home runs. He was really good for the Cubs last year. Now he gets to be a DH, not have to focus on defense, and he can play 60 games, 30 of which are in Great American Ballpark, 5 of which will be in Miller Park, 5 of which will be in Wrigley. 40 of those games are going to be in tiny parks. Tiny, tiny parks. Um which is a huge, huge blessing for him uh, to try to lead the league in home runs. I would not be shocked if he does it. Um, or another red, you know, Arsteas Aquino, maybe he leads the league in home runs. Um, but uh, it's going to be somebody that plays in tiny parks. It's not going to be like an AOS player, I don't think. So we'll see what happens there. But Nick Cassianos is my pick to lead the league in home runs. As for how many home runs he hits, I'm going to guess... He leads the league with 22. 22 home runs in 60 games. And then if you're looking into buying for him, his 2014 tops uh, PSA 10 rookie goes for around $25. Uh, there might be a decent option at a buy. People don't really love DHs. So, you know, you look at J.D. Martinez. His He's a really, really stinking good hitter, but his prices aren't that high. Um, so... Uh, Nick Cassiano's probably following suit there and being a DH, but $25, they may be some room to grow, especially if he blows up and the Reds blow up this year. So keep that in mind. And then for average, uh, I didn't want to pick like one of the normal, the typical guys you might expect, the Cody Bellingers, the Christian Yelichs of the world. So instead, um, I was trying to, I was banding about a couple ideas. One was going to be Jeff McNeil, but instead I'm going with Luis Arias of the Twins. I expect him to lead the league in average. He uh, His 2019 Tops update PSA 10 is going for $55, which is way more than I expected it to be. I uh, did not expect the price to be that high. Um, that's a really, really good deal uh, if you have him and are selling him. I don't know if I'd buy him at $55. I just don't trust it that much. But I've got him leading the league. He's an all-fields hitter that is a line drive approach, not trying to hit home runs. Um, should uh, do pretty well in the early going. Um, when most of the other hitters are struggling to catch up to the pitchers to be him. And then also, uh, he gets to play in a, a lot of big fields uh, in the AL Central. You know, the Royals, big field, Tigers, big field, White Sox, pretty big, Twins is big, um, which would help his approach. So I expect Luis Urias and his $55 PSA 10s to lead the league in average this year. And then moving on to my MVP picks, uh, this is a little bit of a cop-out, but I'm going with my heart here. NL MVP, I'm picking Christian Yelich. Um, 
He had 25 home runs and hit 313 with a 425 on base and a 719 slugging, which was good for 1,144 OPS uh, through 60 games last year. And uh, I want more of the same. I'm expecting more of the same. So hopefully that goes well there. And then on the AL side, we've got Anthony Rendon. I expect him to win the MVP this year. He's been one of the top pitcher or position players in Major League Baseball the last couple of years. Uh, one of the top third basemen when he was on the Nationals in five in his five healthy seasons. So not his rookie season, not his third season. But in his five healthy seasons, he's averaged 5.64 baseball reference war with a 6.4 baseball reference war last year. And for Fangraph's war, he's averaging 6.12 Fangraph's war and had seven Fangraph's war last year. So he's extremely good. Now he gets to go play with Mike Trout and learn from Mike Trout. And I expect that to just be a little bit of an upgrade there. So I'm going with Anthony Rendon. If you're looking to buy into him, 2013 Tops Update PSA 10s are selling for anywhere between $55 and $80. $55 was the last auction, $80 they've been pop- being popped for buy it now. So Anthony Redone, Christian Yelich, my AL and MVP, NL MVPs respectively. Um, now let's get into a little bit of problems I've noticed with the 60-game season. This is how we're going to end the podcast here. Um, just a couple of things that I've noticed while going through it. And uh, number one, there's no minor league season. Uh, that's a problem for Bowman Chrome collectors like me, um, a lot of other people, is that if you're into Bowman Chrome, well, there's no minor league season, then don't buy now because you're not going to be selling anytime soon. Prices aren't going to go up with games being played. So no minor league season stinks, and it especially stinks for the minor leaguers because unless they have spring training or extended spring training or instructionals to report to, uh, they're not going to get an entire year of playing in, which will be a really big problem for uh, teams that, you know, rely on having a minor, a good minor league system for people to get excited. You know, Royals, nobody's excited about the Royals MLB team, but they're excited about the minor league system. And if those guys aren't playing, that's a really big blow to both the players and the organization. Uh, a couple other things about 60-game season is that it'll be interesting to see what teams call their prospects Uh, and what teams don't. So I'm envisioning a scenario where a team does not want to call up a prospect, take the Angels and Joe Adele, where they don't want to call up a prospect to waste on 60 games. Um, If you use one of his years of service time on 60 games, and all of a sudden you only have five after that, that's kind of a waste. So I'm expecting some teams that are budget conscious, maybe to not call up players they normally would have. Um, We'll see there. But then on the flip side of that, I can see situations where a team... Like, I don't know, say the Tigers get off to a really hot start unexpectedly, and all of a sudden it's only a 60-game sprint to the finish line, and they're like, oh, we should call up Casey Mize. He's our best pitcher, or Matt Manning, when they normally wouldn't have, but now they are because uh, they're in a situation to succeed that they it was not expected. So I can see it going both ways, where one team is like, no, I don't want to waste uh, a year of service time on 60 games, and another team is saying, yeah, I'm going to call up Casey Mize because we're in a much much better situation than we thought we'd be in. Let's go after it and win and try to make the playoffs when we weren't expected to, especially when 60 games is a lot easier to make the playoffs than 162. Any team can get hot for 60 games no matter how bad you are. That's the nice thing about baseball is that 
every year you start, there's hope. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're the Mariners and the Tigers or if you're the Dodgers and the Yankees. Uh, there's always hope there um, on that front that maybe this is the year that you explode. And a 60-game season really offers a ton of hope for a lot of bad teams. Uh, and then a couple other things is players on the bubble. It's unfortunate that um, they feel like they probably have to play. Brock Holt just said this yesterday. He said he felt like he had to play or else his playing career would be done because he had no guaranteed contract last, next year. And if he sits out, you know, he, he might just be forgotten about. Um, and so you got players who are ex probably may not want to play but feel like they have to play because of uh, being on a roster bubble, so to speak. And if you don't play this year, you're kind of just saying, all right, my career is over. And there's a lot of guys that don't want to do that, especially somebody who's Brock Holt's, Holt's age of like 32. Um, on the other flip side, that we've had number, a number of guys, uh, Tyson Ross, Joe Ross, Ryan Zimmerman, a bunch of number of other guys that are sitting out, uh, especially interesting in Ryan Zimmerman's case is that he is 36, going to be 37. So sitting out now, his career really might be over. Um, we just don't know. On the flip side of that, you will have... Uh, oh, wait, just kidding. On top of that, pitchers, so hitters that don't want to sit out because their careers are, might be over if they do. On top of that, you got pitchers that are always ahead of pit hitters at the early part of the season. And now you're going to be running into a situation where it's only a 60-game season. So you get guys that are on their last legs as hitters that don't get it going right away in a 60-game season where they could have in a 162-game season. And now they're full season stats look really bad and they don't get re-signed and then it's just game over for them and on the flip side of that though you have pitchers who might be on their last legs who look really really good in a 60 game sample and all of a sudden get a contract for next year so a number of different little things that could be going into a 60 game season which makes it the stakes that much higher uh not to mention obviously that COVID-19 and everything that's happening there makes the stakes really, really high. And that what happens if somebody gets it and is symptomatic and has really bad symptoms? Um, was it worth playing baseball and getting them sick for that reason? Probably not. So should the season happen? Probably not. Will the season? Will there be problems with the season, especially because right now? Uh, testing's being weird and teams haven't got their tests back. And I was reading about one guy who failed the test and then got tested again, failed it again, and then tested or had a positive, two positive tests, took a third test, it came back negative, took a fourth test the next day, came back positive again. Um, so there's weird situations there where the testing's bad and the testing's not getting done. So the likelihood of this season actually finishing. I'm not giving it 100%. I don't know if it will actually finish. Um, I think it may start, but it may just all go to uh, the toilet pretty quickly. So while I'm excited to see baseball again, do not expect this baseball season to be anything like you expected. Um, but be excited to buy baseball cards again. I hope you're all excited. It's not Bowman Chrome, but Topps rookie cards. We went through some prices. Obviously, there's a number of guys in here. Christian Yelich, Tops Update, PSA 10, selling for 190. Anthony Rendon, PSA 10s from 2013, selling for 55 to 80. Both of those are from 2013, actually. And you know, you got the lesser guys, the uh, Luis Arias is selling for PSA 10, selling for 55 and that stuff. So 
get excited for the baseball season. Don't expect it to finish. I'm not trying to be negative, but uh, just trying to gear you up, guys up for uh, all the possibilities out there. So I hope you all enjoyed this baseball season preview. Um, hope you enjoyed my predictions. Uh, if you have your own predictions, put them in the YouTube comments below. Um, would love to see them. Would love to go through them. Maybe have a little back and forth. Or go on to the Instagram and comment your predictions uh, in the little uh, Instagram post that will be up for this video. Uh, comment your predictions there. And let's uh, just have some fun with it. So thank you all for listening to this Dinging Corners baseball preview, 2020 baseball season preview. Uh, I enjoy covering baseball for you guys, and I hope you enjoy listening. And I will talk to you again next time.